Hello, stranger. How Hi. are you? Hi, Avrin Maggie. I'm good. Oh my God, I'm coming out of the dark. Coming out of the dark. I miss you, Vanya. Oh my God, I miss you too. I miss you too. I'm so glad you're feeling better. We are a week off schedule because Vaughn got sick. Um, and yeah. that's, you know, what happens. She lives with children who go to school with other children. So yep. I'm guessing sick is a thing that happens a lot. It is. And I lost I lost my voice. So that was more than like, I, you know, I'm like, that's my moneymaker, yo. That's right. Yeah, it wasn't like she just didn't feel good. She literally couldn't speak. So we couldn't podcast. And I also <laughs> like my the other podcast that I do with my our friend Mike, I couldn't do either. I felt bad. I was like, I am so sorry, everyone. But it is funny. It's like that thing like. I don't know about you, but like I did never stop. Like I am a robot. I continue on. I am a warrior. And I was like, oh, oh, I have to stop. That sucks. Right. Like I but didn't have a But you know choice. what? It's sometimes it's good to like just take care of yourself. Yeah. Be forced to ta- kind of take a break because you yeah. can't podcast if you can't speak. So that's true. Sometimes the universe gives you what you need so you can get better. And I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. I am feeling better. <laughs> I know. I still like, I slept. So I put on, because you know how you like to sleep. By the way, here's a fun fact. My mom and Avrin have a very similar thing where they listen to something while they sleep at night. My mom does the same yep. thing. Like, just yeah. like you. Exactly does like she you. listen to true crime stuff? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I knew it. That doesn't surprise me. Or She's she actually am- has amazing. this, this uh, it's like a British murder murder show oh yeah it's like murder in paradise we've yeah. talked about it oh yeah that's it so, <laughs> but that's what she like just listens to that is her like white noise at, at night and absolutely stuff. mine but, is the narrator from forensic files voice <laughs> i love it so much so i or okay. keith morrison <laughs> i mean well i knew that i was like i thought it was yeah. keith morrison um <laughs> no today i took a two-hour nap and i what i listened i'm gonna have to rewatch, but the um all-stars uh rupaul RuPaul Drag Race All Stars. Yeah, so it, was, it just gives me joy. Like, and I didn't listen. I just said I'm allowing myself. I'm gonna put this on as background noise, and I still am like getting over the cold, but I have my voice back, which is good. That's yeah. right. Um, so speaking of RuPaul's All Stars, yeah, tell I me. worked. I worked an event. So we have all kinds of you know different types of things where I work, but lots of times so we do drag drag shows, right? Ugh. So we like Jackie Beats comes in, Sherry Vine, and I feel terrible. I cannot remember the name of the headliner that it was like a late night last minute show so it wasn't crazy busy but there was a drag queen named ronnie and she was from india and so already like apparently that's pretty rare there's not a a ton of drag happening in india very rare and this queen sings live which is also like one of my favorite things when a drag queen actually sings i'm like I am living for you. And she sang an Adele song and I would, I'm bartending, right? So I'm not necessarily, I can't see anything and I'm hearing something. You're like right around the corner, right? Like you can't, you're adjacent to the stage. Yeah. And I assume this drag queen is lip syncing to an Adele song until I notice that the words are different. And I'm like, wait, (gasps) is she singing this? So um, it's just Ronnie. I asked, I bought her a drink. I was like, you're incredible. What's like, what's your name? And and she said, I'm Ronnie. So if you just like want to Google Ronnie drag queen, if you can find her, I haven't actually tried to do that yet, but I need to. Uh, I've never, ever heard anything as incredible as, as this, as this queen's voice. That's amazing. Yeah. I'd love to see her. on my ride home today. Like I, so I'm still coaching the volleyball. We have our, we had our last practice today. Um, and Amelia, my daughter's in the car with me and she's like, mom, can girls be drag queens? And I was like, yeah, you can do whatever the fuck you want. 
That's I mean, you right. can be a drag king, but she wants to be a drag queen. Like she wants to, she wants the wig. She wants all the things. And I, absolutely. Re- I mean, I fully relate to that. Like, I think that's all I've ever wanted in my life too. I think that's all we've, we, you know, <laughs> we, true. uh, creative, like theatrical people have, that's all we've ever wanted is to be drag it's queens. true. God. And it, I was like, yes, absolutely. We can play, we can do whatever. I just, um, I love the drag queens and I love, I was listening or reading something, but it's like at night I could do this, like. It was coming from a drag queen Basically saying I could do this like dirty show And in the morning I can read um, You know children's books Because I am a multi I'm just just like uh, Chris Rock Who does his nighttime gigs And then does uh, you know animation Yeah voiceover work for animated movies Yeah, So everyone just calm the fuck down Yeah drag isn't dangerous It's fabulous It's fabulous And And if you haven't yet Check out Republicans on Instagram Oh fine They take take all the Republican (laughs) lawmakers Trying to like ban you know Trans rights and abortion rights and, And drag queens rights and they turn them into the most fabulous drag queens. And I've yeah. just never laughed harder. It I makes love it. me so happy. What kind of world are we living in? I don't understand. Like, I feel like this is definitely not the majority. But like, you know, I just got a notice because I, I donate to the NAACP. I'm like, I had a cocktail. Sorry, whatever. That's all right. No, NAACP. No, and I, there was like, there's like an issued warning right now for people who are from like of African-American descent to not travel to Florida because of like this last whatever Monday whatever whenever it was like DeSantis has put this thing of like not to put any funding towards diversity inclusivity and like uh what is it equity which is crazy because that's also I mean that's everything that's like what you don't like people with special needs you dickhead like I don't understand what's happening is it like just like an attention grab or what I don't get it I think that it's I mean I don't want to get too into like the political leanings because we'll never I'll never stop talking but I think we'll what it is, is that yeah. <laughs> in the in the the new era this this Trump Republican party which I know I don't want to lump all Republicans in as like Trump Republicans but because of how like strong his base is and how much influence they have I think it's created a world where anyone who's going to try to compete oh. does have to do shocking horrific oh, yeah. bad things and DeSantis by the way I don't think it's a stunt though I think he is just as if not more so dangerous than Donald Trump because he's young he's gonna live for a long time Donald Trump's you know like almost 80 or whatever so knock on wood just kidding I don't condone like wishing people dead right but I kind of do for yeah Trump well also (laughs) the other thing I think is very interesting because we live in an area where and you you're not around a lot of like families but I'm like they're everywhere I mean I have kids that's why but People are obsessed with Disney And you know They are they, You know people who are too Like fucking obsessed Adults who are goddamn obsessed with it. Like you don't go after Disney Mr. Man I mean it doesn't That that Disney like Pushes through religion Political parties Through like re- yeah. People are Like I always Listen I like Disneyland a lot But I find that Some of the one The people who are like obsessed It feels a little cultish So I'm like You don't fuck with Disney man Don't fuck with Disney They remove bodies From the property So that they can say That no one's ever died At Disneyland Ah. Like literally They're like We'll just move them Just right outside Oh my god and then call 911 because no the one dies at Disney. magical place on earth. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. I did digress. I'm so sorry. But I have questions. And whenever I do, I usually get to talk to you before we have our podcast. But here, you guys are here, here we live. Are. We're here in it live. <laughs> I'm like, how am I supposed to feel on this, Evan? Tell me. Because I'm confused. 
just just feel exactly how you do. You should feel confused. These laws are are these like, you know, proposed laws, if not already passed into law bills being proposed are they're insane and they're ludicrous and they defy logic and yeah. conscious and conscious. Is that the conscious? My con- my conscience. Con- yeah. My conscious. My conscience. Thank you. I was like, that's yes. not right. Um, they they are confounding and and terrifying and uh, just wrong. It's so. stressful. It's stressful to me. I, I like to, I, I do understand like in in history, it is just known that the pendulum will swing one way and the pendulum will swing the other way. And the pendulum, it's just like this is a scary swing. Like we, it was the 80s yeah. the last time it was like this. Right. And now. It's, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the 80s was maybe the last. They were like burning books. Big old. Yeah, big old you know, scary swing. I don't know. I don't it's know just either. So, it's so stressful. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm gonna listen to audiobooks well, all no, totally. day and pretend the real world is fake. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's why I really, the thing that has kept me sane is just dealing with what I can't, like I, you know, I volunteer like a motherfucker up here. Yeah, and so do. I, I do as much as I can for the, my family that I can or you know the kids I love the children yeah. what can I say so I that's she like kind of where I, the children are our future yes I do um <laughs> actually right now my kids are watching and they should be in bed but we're watching um school of rock Ooh, that just one. reminded me because he does a whole line on that that it's such a good movie just a random side yeah, note great movie and those kids are so insanely talented They're like so I remember talented. The fir- oh, you know what? I'm confusing the two because the movie, it's the same too, but I also saw it on Broadway. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wait, who are these children with these musical skills and talents at like yeah. the age of 9, 10, 11? I'm like, that's biz- that's bananas, y'all. I know. That's, but that's so, just to bring it back is the age that group that I'm like coaching, they're about, they're mm-hmm. 8 to 11. I freaking love them. They're the best. Yeah. I'm, I feel hope being around kids because they are innocent but also like really smart like so smart yeah and that's a great age too because it's like old enough that you have like actually interesting conversations but young enough that they they don't think you suck or are lame yeah (laughs) i've had a few i've had a few moments where like one of the kids is kind of a dick to me and i'm like oh the flames on the side of my face but i've I've kept kept it cool and like it's funny because my daughter's on the team and so she'll look at me like oh what's she like, gonna do this girl's no, talking like if back I to said her. that to mom <laughs> yeah well but she and also I've had to have a, have a couple I mean I told you I had to t- she was, she was making fun of the way I spoke because I was I was excited I got a little nervous and so I flubbed over things and so my daughter was like repeating the way I said something Ooh, I know oh no, girl oh yeah no I had I said honey listen I and I did it when nobody was around but I was like don't do that that's like the kind of the meanest thing you could do to somebody is like make fun of the way they talk. Like you just did that yeah. to me, your mother, the coach. And she was like, oh, okay. She never did it again. But oh my God. I You were like, oh I'm proud God. of myself for pushing myself to do something that was is scary and uncomfortable. Yeah. But like, and also proud of myself for not being like freaking out when. Yeah. <laughs> not know. being like you're grounded. Are you kidding me? Are and you're you off the team. Fucking <laughs> kidding me. Are you fucking kidding yeah yeah no i'm yeah. kidding but anyway so yeah we had we had um practice tonight it was really fun um so yeah we have a lot to we've had a lot to catch up on it's it's great yeah. do you have any roms any i mean i i know that we already went through Par- paris but i still miss. yes no i do i, wish I, I have i have you. i have a rom for you Give and me. a crime for you 
So my ROM is um, I'm going to be a first-time godmother, and I'm very excited <gasps> oh about it. Oh, my God. Oh. So I was asked to be godmother to my niece, and um, I'm over the moon and just feel very honored and excited, oh. and I'm just trying to think of, like, all of the – I was already planning on spoiling this little one rotten, but yes. now we're going to go We're gonna go bananas. Yay. Um, so that's my ROM, and then my crime is also really a ROM that um, Queer Eye needs to have more episodes in every oh, season I'm because it comes way. and goes too fast. Yes, yes, I can yes. binge a whole – I mean, if I don't have to work – and I don't have to, you know, my husband's gone. So there's like not another person that I'm engaging with. I'll watch a whole season in a yeah. day. And then yeah. I'm like crying. I'm feeling I'm laughing. And then it comes to like this abrupt end. And I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to do now? I hear you. I love I love it, too. I love it, too. It's like the new yeah. season. I, it's it always goes by so fast. And it's like you can't rewatch them and get the same like, you no, know, it doesn't work. Hit. It doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, it's the it's the same like surprise that they have on their journey that you I go know. on with them. And so if you know, do you know what I love about same. this season, too, is I feel like it's not just Karamo who has like the heartfelt like every person, every um, queer guy eyes. Every person has like these moments that are so special. And I'm like, I love Anthony. I love, I mean, I love everybody. I feel I like they all, all them, have yeah. the moments and they're all, it just shows you that humans need to connect with each other. It's just great. Yeah. It's so true. And if you haven't, uh, if you didn't realize that a new season of Queer Eye was out, oh, it is. You're welcome you and go so watch lucky. it. Yeah. I it's, just watched it's, the episode. It's New Orleans too. So yes. it's so fun. Yeah. And it makes New Orleans seem really normal. I'm like, that's weird. But that's fine. Um, no, <laughs> I, I just watched the episode with the principal. Mm-hmm. And I thought lo- it was so good. Oh, yeah. And she so actually, good. some of the things she was saying about like, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, her confidence, her weight. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, no, and it's okay, girl. You cough. You are we're recovering from throat issues, so okay. cough away. It's fine. People will understand. But you're right. It also, that really reminded me of like, oh, there's a whole generation, and unfortunately, I, I, I fear we are part of that. That yeah. was fed such oh, yeah. crazy beauty standards that were magnified by the bullshit that were our mothers were fed that yes. were magnified by the bullshit that, that our grandmothers were yes. fed and it creates this oh, world God. where it's just yes. like like the the way she thought about herself I'm like what the fuck like, like, like she wouldn't even go on it she's a cute person you like you look at her yeah, and you're like successful. anybody she could be she could definitely be with somebody if she you know what I mean like it's it, uh, that's incredible the way you put that like it, it's compounded by every single generation yeah. i know i try so hard like because my sweet daughter and my son because that you know boys are not immune to this either not at all but like i really like i make extra care to to not show even if i'm feeling it really to not show right. any sort of insecurities or say anything even you know because they always say don't talk about anyone's body at all like even don't even compliment like I almost I one of Calvin one of our good family friends and um one of the girl's arms was really muscular and I wanted to be like oh you are so strong but I just shut the fuck up because guess what right don't talk about people's bodies you know right when they're little they because people glob onto something and they're like I guess I'm good if I'm sm- strong and if I'm not strong then I'm a piece of shit which is what right. we don't and want. then I you convince yourself that like you're a completely unworthy human who doesn't deserve Dude. any love or anything good in your life. Yes. And it just that was yeah, that was a very I just remember watching her and being like, Oh, I feel like I understand yeah. how 
this happened to you, but I also, I hate that you believe any of it. I know. And then I felt bad because her sister was really thin and she kept mentioning it. And that just sucks too. Like, because it's ruining their relationship. You could just tell. Anyways, guys, watch it. I'm so sorry. I will digress. But I yeah. like, I love that episode. We could talk about this. We could have a whole, a whole separate podcast about Well, I'm going to start with my crime. Yes. Wait, did you do your crime yet? I did. My crime was that there's not enough episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so my crime is truly being being ill. It's like some absolute bullshit. And I know people have it much worse and like chronic and things like that. But like, I, I have a heart. I have so many things I'm trying to get done. And I just, I don't like, like I had a, almost a, uh, you know, what is it when people get the headaches? They're so bad. What are those? Oh, the migraines. I, I've had one in my life when I was pregnant with my son. And it, it was, it came from the same place. It came from the back of the neck and like sort of moved forward oh. and creeped up to make you a little blind. That happened oh, yesterday. Man. And I, I'm okay. I just stopped and like, luckily I have a partner who will like take care of everything. Right. I was basically like, I need to be in blackness and yeah. uh, drink water. And I took the shower actually really helped. But anywho, that just like, the crime is like, I don't know, being human, I guess, you know? Yeah, being, yeah, you don't, like, health is one of those things we all take for granted until we don't have it. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, just feeling normal is yeah. such a fucking gift. It's that crazy. we don't realize what a gift it is to feel normal. It's funny, I do, like, so I'm not a religious, too religious of a person, but I was raised religious, but I'm not. But I do always, like, pray with the kids because I feel like, for me, having a grateful prayer is like a great thing. So we always do. I'm like, thank Gratitude you for my Gratitude is breath. important. Thank you for yeah. the food that we eat. Thank you for the water. And we just count. My son is always like, thank you for my cozy bed. I'm like, your bed <laughs> is really cozy, buddy. And like, it is good. But yeah. Um, yeah. I just was like, I need to, when I am healthy, to be grateful. Because I'm kind of like, yeah. and moving on, taking care of the kids, doing all the things. Yeah. You know? So that's my crime. But I'm going to move into my rom, which is actually my rom. That will Ooh. be the impetus of your crime. Okay. All right. Now, I know you, like a while ago, you watched a couple episodes. I don't know if you watched any more. But there is a show, you guys, on HBO Max. I guess we have to say the whole thing now, right? Yeah. It's weird, but we do, I think. <laughs> HBO Max. Wait, aren't they going to like, like, aren't they going to like meld with Discovery? I don't really fucking know, but... Probably. And then that'll also probably meld with like Disney Plus and mm -hmm, <laughs> it'll mm -hmm. just continue to get more expensive. Is basically I'm like, I'm what so we confused, but can we just like make it a flat rate? But OK, so anyways, on HBO Max and it mm -hmm. came out in 2020, I think 2020. It's a it's a series called Somebody Somewhere. And it's essentially like it's it is a comedy. It's not really a rom, but I'm calling it like a like a sister slash friendship rom comedy sure. and it might have just like a like a like a quick little bloop of mumblecore which i'm so sorry but i lo i really love it because it's it's put on it's 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 what do you call it it's produced by the duplass guys the brothers yep and, and also the i need you dudes. for me and maybe <laughs> Some rom criminals listening, like mumblecore. Okay, hold on. Let me define, I'm looking up. define so, it. <laughs> um, okay, so I actually it's a film sub subgenre, and it is it's sort of like an indie vibe. And I actually did a couple things with some of like the original mumblecore people when I was in New York. But I'm not. Oh, I'm, cool. I am totally bragging. I don't give a shit. It's fine. Brag, but anyways, girl. it's characterized by naturalistic acting and dialogue. Sometimes it's even improvised. 
usually it's super low budget. And yeah, so the emphasis on the dialogue over plot and a focus on the personal relationships. So yeah, so right. Jay Duplass, the Duplass brothers, Mark Duplass, the other guy, um, Greta Gerwig is another one that does a lot of that. Joe Swanberg, I actually did a uh, uh, like some voiceover thing with him. He's a very cool dude. Um, awesome. But they're like the original people of the Mumblecore. I, I, I and it's sometimes I'm like, is this like kitchen sink? Which let's just get deep into genre here. But like it's like let's basically like just like chill. It is like re- most realistic thing. Now I know the the ser- the the um star of this show is Bridget Everett, who mm-hmm. we've seen um at Joe's Pub, and she is She's an so incredible cabaret amazing. artist, so fucking amazing, it's crazy yeah. and hilarious, like oh just God. one of the funniest women out there. What people, not just women, just one of the funniest people out there. She really is, and she's like um actually interview we interviewed her when I was working, I was producing the um theater people podcast theater people. and. Our my good friend Patrick Hines interviewed her. They're friends. They used to work serve together. Long story short, but I guess I can't. I don't know how to make things short because when, <laughs> when I love something, I'm just like I fucking love it. She's so yes. incredible, and she's not like your typical size. She's like a she's got the body diversity. She is. It's it's very interesting because when you go see her show at one of her cabaret shows, she's amazing. Like. She's so over the top. She shows her tits. She's fabulous, hilarious. Mm-hmm. She's almost like the female version of Jack Black, but like so cool, like cooler. But like with a sexy edge. Yes, yes. That like Jack Black, I love him, but like that's why he got dissed so hard on the holiday. There's just like a lack oh. of like a sexy edge. No, you're you're totally right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why somebody somewhere the series works because she can bring the real, the real love, yeah. all the things. So it's, so this series is is about Sam, who Bridget Everett plays, she comes back to her hometown in Manhattan, Kansas, which that's right. Is that close? The to Little that? Apple. The Little, the little apple. apple. So our good friend, uh, Book Teresa, that's where she's that's where she's from is Manhattan, no Kansas. I wouldn't say it's super close to I mean, it's probably like two hours tops from like where I lived in Kansas. But yeah. it is. Um, yeah, it's the Little Apple. And it's where one of the two, there's like two big universities in the state of Kansas and Kansas State University is in Manhattan, Kansas. Oh, it's so, so she goes back there because the premise is her sister, the the show starts, her sister has already passed. Her older sister, her protector Mm -hmm. dies of cancer. And so she comes back to town to sort of like, she stays with her to her end. And then now she, she was given the house or she's living in this house. She reconnects with an old friend. And that is like my favorite relationship. There's also a relationship with the sister who is played by, oh my God, she, which, who's, she's like a Broadway person, right? Mary Catherine Garrison. Oh man, I would need to see a picture. I'm sure you're right. I, I will tell you guys that here's the deal. I totally watched the first at least two, if not three episodes of this, but it was when it first came out. So it was only dropping yeah. like one episode per week. And unfortunately, I have an ADHD brain and I watch way too much TV and it just got kind of lost in the shuffle like when I had to wait for new episodes. And so when you told me you wanted to do this, I was like, what's that? And then you met and I was like, oh, yeah, fuck, I never went back and finished that because I was really loving it. Okay, so I will go back and finish. I'm so excited for you. Get to the second season, which is happening right now. There is a moment. So one of the one of the things is there's lots of family stuff. You'll love it. It's it's. Just 
There's so much good singing, and I only watched the first two but or three there's episodes. Not, there's not enough. It's okay. I forgive them. I want more. But she goes back in this season, in the second season, Sam, Bridget Everett, goes back to her, um, I think, high school singing teacher. And there is mm. a scene... Because she's she's a real guarded human being. She never she doesn't want to love anybody ever again. Like she's very like guarded. She barely like her best friend in this. She barely lets that person in. Right. And there's a moment with the singing teacher with the vocal coach where they're doing like deep breaths, and she's got the vocal coach has her heart. I can barely talk about it. it makes me want to cry. Uh-huh. It's her heart on her hand or her heart on her hand on her heart, and they're breathing in and doing like sounds and she breaks down it is so amazing if any of you have ever taken a vocal coaching of any kind you know that your body your your heart everything is connected to our and our voice our is connected to, to our, our past and our breath and yeah. our and our trauma and all the things god damn i love this show i can't say enough and maybe if you watch it you might get a little bit like a little eye rolly, but damn, I love it. There's so many moments, Av, with her her best friend who is played by I must tell you because he is incredible. I'm gonna tell you. And isn't Jeff, he like more of like a coworker? Or he starts as a coworker. Yeah, becomes a friend. Okay, yeah. I I made it to but the they point where knew it was each clear other. They yeah. were she's like he knew he knew him. His his name is Joel, and she, he knew her back in the day, and like kind of like was amazed by her. From afar. Right, and she was like, I kind of knew She's who like, you I were. don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But his name is Jeff Hiller. He's he's awesome. He he he's brings awesome. me joy every moment and I I feel like I have a little there's echoes of friendship pairing mm-hmm. feelings of in a lot of my friendships and I just like I can't get enough. So maybe I kind of feel like, was this made for me? Do you know me? I don't know, Bridget. Or whoever made this. Actually, I'll tell you who made this. Who made this? Um, It's created by Hannah Bose and Paul Thorine. So both of you, y'all, you got me. They it's know a comedy you. drama. I love it. And that's where I'm going to end. But please, please watch. And and Ab, yes. maybe next episode we can talk about that. That if you can catch up, because damn, I will. I will try because I definitely burst. I just love it so much. I have no doubt. And I was really it, it really was hilarious how quickly I was like, oh, shit, I really liked that. Yeah. And then I just forgot to go back to it. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that you reminded me of its existence. There's, there was a, there was, I, I'm not going to say it right, but the last episode, which I'm caught up with right now, it's something about the thing that brought you the most joy in your life can be the thing that blocks you now. I mean, it was something like that, the thing that can bring Ooh. you some serious, and it might, it sort of ravaged me from inside because I think like when you're an artist, it's like, yeah it hurts that but it, thing that brings you so much joy can also destroy your life <laughs> yeah but like it hurts you know it hurts you when you're not no. allowing yourself to experience it or do it it right and that's definitely so i got i got that sense even from just the couple of episodes i watched is that this is clearly somebody with a, a talent yeah with a, a, a real true gift of music who has somehow buried that so deep and become yes. kind of embarrassed crazy about it and like doesn't believe that she has that gift anymore and so then to watch even in just the first two or three episodes like to watch her get to to put that out into the world again and what that means but i can also imagine that that creates issues and then and then you'll get a moment where it's like so bridget everett for realsies and you can tell when she's like really laughing and stuff like that but there's like a moment where they're like in a maybe a sex shop they're looking for either 
lube or something they don't even really say and the the person the uh like clerk comes up and is like can i help you find anything and just without missing a goddamn beat and i don't want to ruin it for anybody but goddamn it makes me so loud she's like i want something that'll split me in half and then they like cut to the next cut to the next thing because that's not the vibe of the show but we get a sec we get a like just a millisecond of real bridget ever it makes me happy that's all yeah sex love it I'm going to check it out. I'm hoping that by our next episode, I'm fully caught up because I'm capable of that, as I mentioned before I with Queer Eye. Can I can watch can the whole it. thing. So this the way we kind of came about this week's you know concept. Normally, it's either Vanya picks something and I find a crime that I yeah. figure out how to find through this. And it was interesting. Vanya hadn't been feeling well. We were hoping to have um, a friend guest host. We had a specific idea in mind for that. But we also were like, we got to put an episode out. So Vanya was like, why don't you tell me a crime story you want to cover and I will find a rom-com. So we'll kind of go backwards. But weirdly, besides like just keeping up to date on like all things Lori Vallow, she was found guilty. Um, The uh, Moscow, Idaho University killings, he was indicted. I need to find out what he pled. I know know he officially made a plea, but I... No, it was something like... They were quiet. It was something about him being quiet. Like, they were like... Anyways, you could go back and look, but I but yeah, because I, I know they they indicted him, which means they're charging him with yeah. the crime. But he had not entered his plea, so I don't know if he pled not guilty and is going to go to trial, or if he pled guilty. Mm, and that's mm. my bad, guys. And um, I'm going to put the answer to that in the show notes because mm. I'm going to Google it as soon as we're done recording. Um, but I had, you know, when I had been floating ideas around for our Jess episode, I I didn't have anything in mind. Yeah, and I just do what I always do, which is I'm like, okay discovery plus with your (laughs) whole section on true crime and i had started watching abbott elementary which i mentioned to you before i think yeah so i was like and so i was like maybe i'll find a good story involving like a teacher or a school then vanya i can insist that she does abbott elementary as her her rom it's great um and so i found this series on um probably id or oxygen but it was called like hometown homicide and i'm scrolling through and i see an episode that's about a missing teacher. I watch it and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And it is interesting. And we might still do it. And I might make you do Abbott Elementary. But as I do, too. I just kind of let it roll, right? And an episode comes on that literally is about a homicide of a 19-year-old girl in Leewood, Kansas in the year 2002. What? So if you don't know this about me, y'all, in 2002, I was in, in college, so I didn't really live in Leewood, but my parents did, and I was home that summer, and I was 20. And the fact that I'm watching this and none of it's ringing a bell for me, Whoa. I'm like, how is that possible? Like, how do I not know this story? I texted my mom. My mom knew every single detail about it. Did. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, of course she did. I love you, Bets. You're where I get it from. But I was, I was truly like kind of in shock that... Either I just blocked this from my memory or I legitimately didn't know about it. You know, and it is possible when you're at that age and there's We're so busy. much going yeah. on and you're so excited and you're it's summer after for me it was summer after sophomore year. I'm sure I was working a bunch. Uh but I, I just couldn't believe it. And so I told Vanya I wanted to do this story. Obviously the clear connection here is Kansas. Um right. which is where uh, somebody somewhere is set. I think it's actually where Bridget Everett is from. Yeah. Also, so is Jason Sudeikis and Paul Rudd. So cool people come out of Kansas. <laughs> Very cool. Um, and so I wanted to tell um, Yvonne and our rom criminals the story of Allie Kemp, who 
I just, I, I still can't, I can't, I think I must have blocked it. I don't know after everything I've watched and read and listened to, there's no way I didn't know about this, but none of it like triggered any memory for me. And I was like, what was I doing? Was I just like that drunk in college? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so Allie Kemp was an exceptionally bright, wonderful young woman. She was super sporty. She played basketball and soccer and volleyball. Yay, volleyball. And volleyball. And she was an <laughs> honor student who also was like constantly giving back to her community, volunteering, doing things through her church. And she was kind and she was beautiful. And even at the young age of 19, it was obvious to every single person, not just family, to every person who knew her, that she was destined for like great things. She was just a kick-ass, like smart, wonderful, kind, thoughtful person who was going to do big, important things with her life. And she's home now. She uh, had just finished her freshman year at Kansas State University. And it's summer. She moves back home in with her parents. And she decides to take a job working at the local community pool in her neighborhood in nice. Lakewood, Kansas. Yeah. And I mean, like... I, I, this pool specifically, I don't think I ever went to where we went, Vaughn, like where my parents live now. Yeah. This is definitely more out towards the area where, um, where Allie would have been living because like we were in Prairie Village. Like when I went to high school, it was further closer to like the plaza and downtown. This is further out, more like where our good friends, like, um, Samara and Michelle. And in fact, she went to Blue Valley North High School, which I feel pretty positive at least one or two or three or four or ten of my friends went wow um but i didn't want to be like weird and be like did you remember this because obviously <laughs> i'm sure they did um so it's summertime she's working at the pool and it's pretty cute because not only is she working at the community pool but her boyfriend her high school sweetheart Aww. phil is working at the pool and in fact like so they dated all throughout high school they were high school sweethearts they had decided when they went off to college because she went to k-state and he went to my alma mater ku rock shock jayhawk go KU, um <laughs> that they would just like let themselves have their freshman year which i think is wise like pretty mature just be like hey we're going to go somewhere new and meet new people. But they had actually rekindled their romance when they came home that summer. So they were back on again. Wow. And so she worked at the pool with her boyfriend, Phil, and her younger brother, Tyler, also worked there. So this brings us to June 18th of 2002. At 2 p.m., Allie arrives at the pool. It's the Foxborough Pool in Leewood, Kansas, to basically relieve her boyfriend. So, like, he was working in the morning. She comes in at 2 so he can go. And then the plan is they're going to have a date night. So her brother Tyler is going to come in at five to relieve her. Now at five o'clock, Tyler shows up and he cannot find his sister anywhere. But all her stuff is there. And so he's immediately concerned. He calls his dad. His dad, uh, Roger, who is amazing, Roger Kemp, hears, you know, his son's kind of panic. And he also immediately knows something's wrong. Like if she was there for work, she wouldn't have left. And uh, this, this, you know, something has happened here. So he shows up at the pool. He turns right around, hops in his car, drives down, and the two of them begin searching the pool area. So they look everywhere. He's like checking the deep end of the pool. Like, and I can only imagine the things running through a parent's mind around a swimming pool and your child and not oh being able God. to find them. 
And so they're but looking she's everywhere. Like a, but she's like a lifeguard, yeah, right? She, right. She's they, 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 they described her job as pool attendant. So I think she was the lifeguard, but also responsible for like maintaining like the, the pools, you know, like checking out the pumps and making sure. sure everything's working, but mostly probably a lifeguard. So eventually after checking out everything outside, Roger heads into the pool house, which is where the pump room is. And he's looking around and he's looking around and he finally walks back around behind one of the pumps and he sees a leg (gasps) sticking out from underneath a blue tarp. So he lifts up the tarp and it's his his daughter, Allie, and she is mostly nude (gasps) and there is blood everywhere. And um, I watched several different episodes of shows about this and his 911 call is Ugh. I don't always like to listen to 911 calls because they're just such a such a horrible like moment in people's lives. But his is like truly heartbreaking. Like he's not only yeah. saying like, I think someone's killed my daughter. She, there's blood everywhere. But then he's also talking to his daughter and you can hear oh it all on the call. God. Like, just stay with me. Just stay with me. And um, paramedics arrive and there is actually like a faint like the reason that he wasn't sure if she was dead is that she was still warm to the touch so they actually do take her to the hospital from the crime scene they don't arrive and say like she's gone and um they take her immediately to uh saint joe's hospital and uh sadly she is pronounced dead like shortly after arriving there now the news of this crime rocks this really affluent suburban neighborhood of Kansas City, Missouri. It's on the Kansas side. There's tons of little, you know, I just recently took you home with me. You saw a lot of it. I I went back and forth on each side. There's that road. Yeah, we did. I was like, we're toeing the line here. But like this specific suburb is not, it's like known for being like one of the greatest places to like raise a family. It's safe, but it's also very like, it's affluent. So people have, you know, like good education, good housing, all that stuff. This like rocks this community. Oh, and wow. and this is not a girl that lived a a risky lifestyle. She didn't right. have friends that were involved in bad things. Like as I mentioned, everybody saw her as destined for great things. So uh, immediately police obviously arrive at the pool. The crime lab is called out to process the scene. And according to one of the detectives who worked on it, he said that the it looked like a grenade had gone off in this pump room, which basically was a testament to how hard Allie fought oh, her wow. attacker. And one of the things that they're noticing is they're, there's, there's not just there's blood. Obviously, there are things strewn around everywhere. But strangely, close to where her body had been found, they found a cap, like a tiny little cap from an ointment tube. That would have probably been something in a first aid kit. And they're like, that's weird and out of place. We're going to go ahead and bag that. Maybe somehow that's involved. And, you know, they're just grabbing any bit of evidence they can. They're hoping that with the amount of effort that Allie went to to try to live through this attack, that she got some of her killer's DNA. Like he bled or she scraped him or she's there's They're going to find something with his DNA on it. And. Back at the coroner's office, basically, the coroner describes that she had suffered blunt force trauma to the back of her head. Um, There were broken fingers, (gasps) bruises everywhere. Like, this girl fought so hard. But ultimately, her cause of death was ligature 
strangulation. And there were signs of both manual and ligature. So if you don't know what that means, not only did her killer use his hands to strangle her, but he found something to wrap around her neck and strangle her with that. And then one of the saddest things, like in sweet and just, I just need you all to know that Roger Kemp is like not only instrumental in catching his daughter's killer, but just like an example of like a parent who is the kind of parent we should all have. So that first night after, you know, she, um, they found out that she was not going to survive. He took his wife home and he went back and he stayed at the morgue all night so that Allie wouldn't be alone. Oh, and it just like breaks my heart. Cause he fought so hard for her and, and he won in the end. He catches the fucking oh my God. monster I that did wait. this. Okay. So the first thing detectives have to do, even though they know that Allie is not somebody who's high risk for something like this and the likelihood that she got herself involved in something that led to this is low, you have to eliminate the people closest to her, starting with her boyfriend, Phil. So they bring Phil in and he basically explained his day. He said I was he was working at the pool. And then Allie arrived at two and relieved him. And he headed from that pool to another pool where he also worked as a pool attendant. And after he finished working at that job, he went to a friend's house and played video games until he was he got a call that Allie was at the hospital, in which case he left and went to the hospital. So he's incredibly cooperative. He also agrees to give them a DNA sample because they they do believe that they're going to be able to find her killer's DNA. So he happily provides a DNA sample and his alibi is verified. He also um, told police that he had missed a phone call from Allie at 2.52 p.m. She had called him. He'd missed it. He tried to call her back, and she didn't answer. And so he's also helping them kind of create a timeline, right? So at 2.52, she was able to make a phone call. We know that much. When he called her back like five, ten minutes later, she didn't answer. Um, And police basically proceed to collect DNA samples from all of Allie's friends and family, everyone close and within her circle. And they're very quickly kind of able to rule out everyone in her life, which means that whoever did this to Allie Kemp was most likely a stranger, which is the hardest kind of homicide to solve. If there's no link, how do you find this person? It's like looking for a needle in 50,000 haystacks. Yeah. So it's already, it's, it's a daunting task and it's terrifying. This is a safe place where a brutal like horrifically unspeakable thing happened to a, a wonderful, good young woman. And like and during the day, right? Like in the middle of the day. And she's at a community pool, like a place where anyone could have arrived yikes. at any time. And some brazen monster did this to her. And so, you know, they, they're getting to work because people are like, uh, we got to catch this guy. Yeah. This isn't the kind of place where we can let this kind of person just walk around. So they begin canvassing like the neighborhood And there had been a crew of like lawn and garden maintenance workers that were basically their job was to maintain the lawn and garden kind of like on the outside area of the pool. So not inside where the pool was, but the outside area of it. And they spoke to them and they uh, it was like a group of like probably four or five dudes. They had been on a break and they said that they had noticed a beige and or tan brown colored truck that had come into the parking lot more than once, like circling around like it was looking for someone. And they also said that they were positive that it was a 1980s, 1980, sorry, Ford pickup truck. And the reason they knew that is that they all had a buddy who had the exact same car. So that's why they were like so clear on the make and model, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think. 
Another witness came forward and said that a week or two earlier, while they had been at the pool, they had noticed a man creepily crouching in some bushes outside of the pool, either holding binoculars or perhaps a camera. But unfortunately, they can't provide any description or like any real details about but that's this person. When you call but now the they're cops. like, oh, my God, I know. Right. But again, it's yeah, it's like those moments where I'm sure people are like, oh, I should have called the cops like while he was still there. Um, so they know there's potentially somebody that's been like stalking this pool. But the police's best witness happened to be a friend of Allie's, a girl named Laurel. So Allie had called Laurel around like 10 to 3. And she had said she'd asked her if she wanted to swing by the pool and keep her company. She was there all by herself. And she was like, do you want to just come hang out with me? And Laurel was actually driving home from like a doctor's appointment and was like, absolutely, I'll totally come by. So Laurel arrives at the pool parking lot at about 3.15 p.m. And as a joke, because remember, these are teenage girls. Yeah. She starts laying on her horn, thinking that her friend's going to come running out and and be like, what are you doing? Stop. You're making so much noise. So she's leaning on her like horn, you know, thinking Allie's going to come out. But instead... She sees a man kind of like poke his head out of the pump house and then kind of like turn back into the room like he's talking to somebody. And Laurel immediately like stops honking her horn and like kind of crouches down and she's like, fuck, oh my God, I, what if that's Allie's boss? Am I going to get her in oh. trouble? I was just like being obnoxious in the parking lot. And so she's kind of like scooched down in her seat embarrassed when um, the same man a minute later comes out of the pool pump room carrying a bucket. He walks past Laurel, waved at her, like waved at her, and then got into his pickup truck and drove away. Now, Allie didn't come out at all. And Laurel thought, oh, God, maybe I got her kind of busted for asking friends to come by. And so she just she went home. But she was able to give a pretty detailed description of the man that she saw coming out of the pool house and getting into his truck. So she goes and meets with police and they come up with a composite sketch. And so now they've got an image of this guy provided by Laurel's eyewitness you know, account and a pretty specific make and model and color of a vehicle. And all of this, they immediately put like out to media. And tips start like flooding in one of the retired detectives I think his first name was Joe and I should have written it down but he even said like people would come up to him in restaurants and be like this is my brother-in-law's baseball cap I don't know I I wouldn't think he could do it but he looks so much like that composite sketch because here's the thing guys that composite sketch described a man that was a white male in his 30s between 5'8 and 6 feet with brown hair and a slightly stocky build so like anybody a hundred percent of the men in Kansas right. you know, it could be literally anybody. And everybody all clearly also thought that because they were like t- turning their relatives DNA samples over to the police unprompted. But in all the tips that were coming in, the name James Strader was in the police's description of it. When you held up a photo of this James Strader guy next to the composite, it was like they were identical. It wasn't just like a likeness. Oh, it was wow. like, this is a, this is a drawing of the guy. And so um, they looked into James Strader, and it turns out he also drove an old brown pickup truck. So police go down to the small auto body shop in Olathe, Kansas, which is only 20 minutes from Leewood, um, where he worked, to question him. 
He, of course, denied any involvement and also said that he had an alibi. He had been at work all day and his boss, who was there at the time, actually verified that and showed police the car that he had been working on and like the work that he had done that day. Like it was that like fresh in his mind. So they're like, okay, uh, I guess your alibi checks out. You're not our guy. And because collecting and testing DNA is expensive and he had an alibi, they did not ask him for a sample oh, of his DNA. Shit. So um, around the, t- the same time that like their only possible lead in James Strader kind of fell through, the crime lab called and said, we have found a DNA sample it was found on the ointment tube and cap. Remember that oh, cap to that yes. like first aid medical ointment tube that they found? And it doesn't belong to Allie. And we believe it belongs to her killer. So they run the DNA through CODIS, which you guys know is the national DNA database. And unfortunately, there's no match. So whoever did this isn't in the system, which has got to be so be- unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> like you look at a crime like this, the brazenness of it, the violence of it. And you're like, there's no way this is a first time offender. And yet... If, if he's not a first-time offender, he's never been caught before because he's not in the system. So for Roger, for Allie Kemp's dad, Roger, his biggest fear was that his daughter's case would go cold. And he was determined that he there was no way that was going to happen. He was going to keep those tips and leads coming in however he could. So he and his family, about two weeks after her death, they went on um, John Walsh's America's Most Wanted. And they did this in order to get Allie's story out to like a national level. So like tips could come in from other states and law enforcement watched that show. People in prison watched that show. And so he thought this is a great way to get a really broad reach. So six months goes by, right? And they're still trying to chase down leads and nothing is panning out. When uh, a familiar face pops back up on their radar, so it's January 2003, and James Strader, you remember him, because yeah. I literally was just talking about him, he is now on the run from police and is wanted for kidnapping and sexually assaulting three young women. Now, police are thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus, was the man who looked exactly like the man in the composite sketch the killer all along? And we just didn't get his DNA sample because it was too expensive. And so they're like, we got to find this guy and we got to get this DNA. Because now, not only does he look like the guy, but he has like a, a clear history or ability of like violence mm-hmm. against women. And so three weeks go by and police are starting to fear that Strader is in the wind. But then, because like most criminals, he's a bonehead. Strader gets arrested when he fills his car up with gas and then takes off without paying for it. And the gas employee calls the cops and she's like, yo, this guy in this car just like left without paying for his gas. So he's stopped and arrested for that. They figure out who he is. And immediately. So this is in, I think, Utah. Yeah. So the Kansas City, sorry, the Leewood police, they fly out to Utah and they get their DNA sample. And they're questioning him and he continues to deny any involvement. He's like, I had nothing to do with that girl. I'll do anything I can to like prove that I had nothing to do with her. And they're like, give us that DNA, baby. They get the DNA. They send it to the lab. They wait with bated breath. Then the lab finally calls. It's not a match. <gasps> James Strader is not Allie's killer. Oh, son of a bitch. Even though it seemed so, so likely that he was. So... Police basically have to start all over again. 
Roger Kemp is desperate at this point. Like he believed, as did his whole family, that they had found the guy who did this. And then DNA proves that he isn't the guy. And so at this point, weeks had turned into months, which turned into one and then two years since her since her murder. And they still have no idea who killed his daughter. So Roger's like, okay, I'm. I'm not letting this go cold. He personally reaches out to America's Most Wanted again and says, I need you to rerun our episode of Allie. And the producers are like, oh, do you have new information? And he's like, no, that's why I need you to rerun the episode. I need more information. And in fact, uh, America's Most Wanted ended up airing Allie's story four times. Wow. Roger also decided um, that he was going to up the reward. So Crime Stoppers exists all across our country and it basically offers a reward for information leading to like capturing criminals. But they're pretty small rewards, like maybe a thousand, maybe two thousand dollars. Roger thinks maybe if I up the amount, more people will come forward. It'll feel like it's worth it. So he offers twenty five thousand of his own dollars. Uh. And then the city of Leewood decides to match that. So now they have a reward for $50,000 for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of Ali Kemp's killer. And he starts putting like half page ads in newspapers that basically have like the picture, the composite picture, the truck, the reward money and the number to call. And he's now done that twice. He put it in USA Today. He ran those ads. But he's trying to think like, how can he reach more people? Right. And he's driving down a freeway one day and spots an like an empty billboard and he's like oh i should call and find out how much it is to put this shit on a billboard right so he gets in touch with a billboard company and he's just calling to like figure out how much it would cost to do this and when whoever from the company was speaking to him realized who they were talking to because like the 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 city of Leewood, but also like the greater Kansas City metropolitan area, like really kind of like embraced Allie as like their own. Like she was theirs. She was yeah. their daughter, all of them. And when they found out who was calling, they were like, we will gladly put this on as many billboards as you want and free of charge. We will not charge wow. you. We will not touch oh your money. So that same information that was in that little half page ad in the paper is now up on huge billboards off of like the major freeways that run through Kansas City, meaning that thousands upon thousands of eyes are seeing this every single day. And as far as I can tell, based on what I watched and a little bit of research that I did, this is the first time anybody ever used a billboard for this purpose. Oh, wow. So since this, it has been used. Um, there was that great movie with Frances McDormand based on a true story about like the the billboards outside of Yuma or something where she mm-hmm. posted pictures of her of her child. But this was the first time that somebody had been like, here is like the sketch of the dude, the car, like the place to contact and this huge reward for it that thousands of people are seeing maybe multiple times, depending on their commutes and where they're coming from. And as soon as this uh, billboard went up, the police immediately started getting flooded with tips again. So it had kind of like slowed down, been two years. The tips were few and far between. And now like thousands of people are calling in again. And with all of these new tips coming in, there is only one name that comes in twice from two separate tips. That name is Teddy Hoover. So Ted Hoover happens to check a lot of the boxes of this potential suspect. Um, he definitely resembles the composite sketch. He drives a brown pickup truck. 
And Ted Hoover also owns his own pool maintenance company, meaning he works with people and helps maintain their pools. So he might have been at that pool. So they locate Ted Hoover and they go to his house to talk to him. And immediately he seems nervous, which detectives in the documentaries I watched were like, that could also just be like the normal nervousness that all people seem to show when the cops show up at your house being like, we want to talk to you about a homicide. Um, They ask him if he would, you know, there, have you ever been to that pool? Are you familiar with the area? Can you tell us what you were doing on June 18th of 2002? He's like, I couldn't possibly tell you what I was doing. That was two years ago. I've never been to that pool. They're like, well, the easiest way for us to just rule you out would be a sample of your DNA. Give us your DNA, and he, buddy. And he adamantly, adamantly, sorry, refuses. He's like, ah, <gasps> oh, no, 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 no. Um, not without talking to a lawyer first. And they're like, oh, yeah, totally. And cops even say, like, yes, it's suspicious, but also we get it. Like, a lot of people don't want their DNA in the system. You know, they have weird beliefs about, like, Big Brother and, like, who knows why. But we were suspicious. So the police basically contact Hoover's attorney who explains to them that his concerns are that if he provides them with a sample of his DNA, it's going to end up in some database somewhere. And so police say, listen, we will write a letter that's like notarized that says that we want this DNA sample for the purposes of this case only. After we, you know, find out what we need to find out, we will never enter this sample into anything else at all. It will not go into any database. Sends faxes the letter over and is waiting to hear back from the lawyer. Now, meanwhile, police are starting to go back through all of their files, right? And on the day of the murder, there had been a lot of people who had basically showed up because it was, you know, chaos, crime scene, horrible crime, young girl. So there's a bunch of like looky-loos, basically, like hanging out outside the area. And police, very wisely, because a lot of times killers come back to the scene of the crime, they like talked to the bystanders, asked for their names, you know, like, have you been here before? Did you see anything? Blah, blah, blah. And as they're looking through their files, they discover that on the day of Ali's murder, one of the bystanders they spoke to had given them the name Ted Hoover. (gasps) Meaning that not only did he lie when he said he'd never been to that pool, but he was there on the day she died as a bystander. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean he did it. (laughs) He did it. Um, But, uh, But now they're like, okay, this is our dude. So a couple days goes by since they sent that letter and they've heard nothing back from Hoover or his lawyer. So they contact the lawyer again and the lawyer's like, um, listen, I don't really like want to have to break this to you, but yeah, he's gone. (gasps) So he fled. He left Kansas and police immediately like they go into tracking mode. They go to his home. It's totally vacant. Uh, They can't find any information on a man named Ted Hoover. And it's like he's just disappeared into thin air. And months go by and they cannot locate him. And then August 2004, a tip comes in. And somebody calls that anonymous tip line and tells police the guy that they're looking for is named Ben. But he does also go by Ted Hoover. The tipster also told them that this Ben was living with his girlfriend, and they provided the police with his girlfriend's full name. So they start looking into the girlfriend. They discover an address for her in a small town in Connecticut, and then they also figure out that while he's not on the lease or anything, there is a male receiving... Sorry, there's a man. That's too confusing to say. There's a male receiving mail at this address. There's a man, rece- <laughs> there's a man receiving mail at the same address where the girlfriend lives, And uh, the name of this man is Benjamin Appleby. So 
the Leewood cops like reach out immediately to the Connecticut cops and they're like, here's the name of the guy. We believe that he's our Ted Hoover. Connecticut cops dig into it and they're like, yeah, this Benjamin Appleby, we know who this guy is. We actually have two warrants out for his arrest for indecent exposure. He like publicly masturbated and like did something in front of kids. So the Connecticut police basically arrest Ben because now the Leewood police have have found where he's hiding out and they bring him in. They arrest him on these two warrants and then they just take his DNA like there's no asking. Right. Take it. And unbeknownst to, uh, I guess, Hoover B, Benjamin Hoover B, Ted, whatever you want to call him, he does not know that. It's not just the Connecticut cops that are there to talk to him. So after they obtain his DNA sample, which is going to be sent to the lab and rushed through the process, like that's going to be top priority. They let him know that um, there's some Leewood detectives here that want to talk to you about a homicide in their jurisdiction. And so he's like, okay. So after speaking, so the Leewood cops come into the, you know, the room, they talk to him for over an hour. And they decide they're not getting anywhere. He's basically like, I still don't know anything. Like, yes, my name is not Ted Hoover, but like I didn't do anything and I don't know anything about this. And uh, they're like, all right, well, we're going to let's pause here. And they take him from the interview room into the interrogation room where they have set up. So, you know, police are allowed to lie. Right. Yeah. To obtain information. And they uh, lots of times will use props to um, create a. A narrative that's not true like they don't have the results of the dna yet right so they don't actually have a whole lot on him other than the fact that he fled when they asked which is a lot but it's all you know it's not proof so they had set up a bunch of props in this interrogation room they have this whiteboard where his driver's license picture is in the middle right with a big circle around it and then arrows like tons of arrows going into all these different directions that all point to things about ali's murder they have a binder that's like over three inches thick full of blank papers (laughs) that has his name on it. So it looks like they have this incredibly thick file on him, right? And uh, basically like almost immediately after he enters the room, um, Benjamin Applegate Ted Hoover confesses to killing Allie. He says that he went to the pool to try and offer his pool maintenance services and that he found Allie very attractive and that he'd followed her into the pump room And in his words, hit on her. So he made a pass at her. Um, And when she rejected him, he lost it and uh, started hitting her. And then he told police that he thinks he strangled her, but he can't remember with what. And then he said that after Allie was dead, he took all of her clothes off with the intention of raping her. And he grabbed the ointment so the thing that they found his DNA on, he had grabbed that ointment out of the first aid kit to use as lubricant <gasps> when a car horn blaring outside spooked him. Oh so you remember god. her friend, yes. Laurel? Oh my god. So he never did sexually assault her because that car horn basically put that, like that just ended it. He was like, I gotta get out of here. There are people around. Um in the moment of his confession, and you can watch it in these, doc- like you, it's all on camera. Oh he God. seems incredibly remorseful. Like he didn't mean to do it. He didn't go there to do any of this. He doesn't know why he did it. 
And he seems really remorseful and he tells police, like, I'm just going to plead guilty. I'm not going to put the family through a trial or anything. Like, I feel horrible. But because this man is literally a monster piece of shit stuck Mm. on the bottom of Satan's shoe, Mm. he totally changed his tune. And when uh, it came time for trial, he pled not guilty. Even after they have this confession. But you know what, guys? Guess what? The DNA sample they got from him, it was a match. Yeah. So... When defense realizes, like, okay, well, I guess we can't really plead not guilty. Like, we have a confession that's not getting tossed and we have DNA evidence. They basically try to say that he has, like, a mental illness because he had a really bad childhood and he has been diagnosed with IED, which is intermittent explosive disorder, meaning that, like, at times something sets him off. And they said that when he is in one of these IED, like, clouds that he disassociates and doesn't know what he's doing, uh... So they're they're basically claiming that he was in a state of disassociation when he beat Allie to death. Now, the prosecutors, on the other hand, are like, we're charging you with first degree murder and we're going for the death penalty because the state of Kansas still has the death penalty. Uh, And one of the biggest, like most damning moments during the trial was when the coroner went on the stand and testified to basically the injuries suffered by Allie. But mostly it was him describing that the ligature strangulation that had ultimately led to her death had had to have taken at least 10 to 16 minutes to accomplish. Meaning he strangled her, thought it was done, and then she would come back too. And he did it over and over again for (gasps) up to 16 minutes until he was positive she was dead. And that is how the prosecution argues first degree premeditated murder. That your first crime was to rape this young woman. Then you beat her and you didn't want to witness because you beat her badly. And so you decided, doesn't matter if you premeditated weeks, years before, or a minute before. Right. But if you choose to kill somebody and you plan to do it, that's first degree murder. And they say, they argued that the 10 to 16 minutes it took for her to die is proof that he kept going back over and over again. Yeah. To make sure she was dead. And uh, the jury deliberated for four hours. They were out that long because they ordered lunch because guess what? They didn't even need to deliberate. <laughs> they found him guilty. Yeah. And literally, I love in the documentary, like the jury was out for four hours, but that was only because they ordered lunch. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. okay, but also get that lunch, jury duty. Yeah, they're like, if you want it's hard <laughs> free work. lunch, you should do it now. Like, get, get that lunch, yeah. So they come back with a guilty verdict and the judge sentenced him to something called a hard 50, which is a law that exists in Kansas, which means he is required to do hard time for 50 years. There are no circumstances, good behavior, overcrowding, parole. There are no circumstances where he can be released from jails until he serves 50 years, which I think is great. in this yeah, case. But that means he'd be 80. Yeah, he's in his like 30s. By the time he went to trial, I think it was like 2005. So he's probably like 30. He'll be in his mid 80s, you know, if he doesn't die in prison. But to further demonstrate, so he's found guilty, right? And this asshole further demonstrates how much of a shit stain he really is. Because when the time comes during the sentencing hearing for the Kemp's to read their victim impact statements, this fucking coward, like, asked the judge to excuse him from the courtroom because he didn't want to have to listen to it. And for some, I want to know the reason why. For some reason, the judge granted his request and he was allowed to leave before they made their statements, which just makes me so mad. That's and bullshit. also I'm like, who's, who's that judge and can we fire him like retroactively? Now, obviously, the the loss of their daughter was a nightmare, a nightmare that even 
a parent who constantly probably imagines imagines nightmare scenarios could never have fathomed would befall their daughter. But not only was Richard like the person that kept her case in the news that kept the tips coming in. So not only did he basically like police named him the team that caught this guy. Like he's listed as one of the people on the team. That's good. He had his own coffee mug on their uh, coffee mug tree. He was always polite and cool and calm and collected. And he said, you know, as time went on, you have two choices. You can like crawl into bed and hide under the covers and just sleep. Or you can go out there and make sure that this monster never hurts anybody else. And he chose to do that. And he and his wife, Kathy, started the Ali Kemp Educational Foundation or the Take Defense, which is, you know, uh, basically they provide free self-defense classes for women of all ages. Like anyone can take this course. It doesn't cost anything because even though they they don't know, obviously, like this fucking piece of shit, this Appleby guy, he'd been like a wrestler. It might not have mattered if she had been like trained in self-defense. But they also realized that like she wasn't prepared to be brutally assaulted. Nobody is unless Mm -hmm. they actively choose to prepare themselves for this moment. And so uh, to date, more than 70,000 girls and women have taken the class. Wow. In 2011, Barack Obama awarded Roger Kemp the Presidential Citizens Medal for the work he's done in his daughter's oh. name. That foundation is still going strong today. Um, sadly, Roger Kemp uh, passed away in March of 2022 at the age of 77. But I think we can take some comfort in knowing that when he passed, he knew with certainty yeah, that his daughter's God. killer would be in prison until he was in his mid-80s or he'd die there. And I hope that that brought him and continues to bring Kathy and Allie's brother's comfort. It's crazy. And that is a story that I don't know how it's possible. I didn't know about until yesterday. <laughs> how did, how Kemp. the two calls that came in that like named this guy, like, did they go into any of that? Like two separate calls? So the only thing they, they mentioned. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the reward money, right? So there was right. substantial reward. Now that there were two separate people that were able to like claim that reward. The one that gave them like the bulk of the information got $40,000 and the other got 10000 The They never tell you who they are. They oh. remained anonymous. But it should be noted that the person who was awarded $40,000 donated all of it to Allie's foundation. Wow. Didn't keep it for themselves. So it was somebody that knew who knew this guy and knew he had done this and knew that it was their, their moral obligation to say something I mean it's crazy and I think about like you know where I live and there's community there's community pools all over the place it's like oh my uh, god I've spent so much time in your community pool yeah well and also there's cameras everywhere so you could not like nowadays you could not get like you'd well, be well and that seen. is the thing like 2002 it doesn't seem like it's that long ago but it is still a different era yeah. it, it is like smartphones were just a thing right most people still had flip phones but know? that's just so random and like crazy that it's like during the day and it it's scary it's scary to think it that there's scary. violent people out there that would do something it's so a senseless yeah it's a it's a senseless crime they don't believe it was random that was part of it right you know, with the the first degree they they do believe that it was probably him hiding in those bushes so that yeah. he was stalking her um he knew like that's why he was circling the parking lot as he was making sure she was there because he had like figured out when she worked um it's a horrific story yeah. of a crime committed by like a subhuman And she was the only one working monster. at the time. And she was alone. Yeah, they I, mean, the thing I don't that think they do is, that anymore. I think that there's always yeah. at least two people working. At least two people working. And I mean, the thing that sucks too is that like, 
she, she, you know, her boyfriend had missed a call from her at like 2.52. Her friend got the call from her that was like, come over. Like she, I think maybe she must have like felt like she needed somebody to be there with yeah. her. Because she reached out to two people to ask them to come hang. So whether or not she had seen him yet God. or she just like sensed something was off, um, it just makes it just makes me so sad and also yeah. just like so mad that monsters exist because like fuck you, Benjamin Appleby, Ted Hoover, whatever your name is. Like, you suck. And I hope he dies in prison. Yeah. Uh, awful. Awful person. So but that's that's the story inspired by the Kansas comedy sitcom. <laughs> and it's really just simply a location thing. She went to school in Manhattan, that Kansas State she University. Did? Yeah, that's where she had been. Oh, my gosh. So wait, what are the two universities? So there's Kansas State or K-State, and then there's the University of Kansas or KU. Which is where you went. And I thought it was really cute, which is where I went. But it's pretty cute because she went to K-State and her boyfriend went to KU. And it's like a big rivalry. Right. So I love that they had like, the Jayhawks are where I went. And then I can't remember... Oh, I feel terrible. I should I should know. I can't remember what the mascot is for K-State. It's funny. We, but it's purple. My husband and I, talk, I know it's purple. talked about it. We were like, what is this? Because it's in the TV show. It's like K-State. And we're like, what is that? Yeah. Kansas State. They were basically like, KU is known for uh, basketball and K-State's more known for football. So crazy. Not but soccer. Yeah, you mean actual just, football. Yes, 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 yes. I do mean actual football. <laughs> <laughs> I, my brain is so like stuck on like football. Uh, yes, well, too much Ted Lasso. Yes, yeah, it's so good. It is. It's gotten better. Better. I w- I feel like it's bringing itself back. Mm-hmm. It's trying to I course like where correct. It's going. I'm very excited to see where we end up. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um. Yeah. Uh, but we love you, rom criminals. That's right. This is a good one. We, this is very interesting. Yeah. We're glad to be back That's with right. a regular episode, Yay. and um, I will put in the show notes if the uh, Moscow Idaho University killer, if he in fact like what his plea was if he did enter it because he was supposed to do that Monday which is today <laughs> right today's Monday Idaho mer- killer let's look yeah Update. do it google it um no not guilty plea entered okay so there will be so a trial Brian Koberger a man accused of killing four University Idaho students pleaded not guilty at his arraignment on Monday so that okay. was today that's what I meant to look up because the grand jury indicted him meaning that they found sufficient evidence that he should go to trial and so he chose so to did. plead they not found, guilty they found sufficient evidence that's good mm-hmm. well yeah they I mean they terrifying. found his yeah they found his dna on a knife sheath that he left behind next to one of the victims oh, yeah. and also like his cell phone pinged multiple times in that location the night of the murder and several times before he studied criminology like yeah he was really into it he was holding like weird like studies about like how criminals felt when they commit crime i don't know he's he is a bad guy he's like something out of like a silence of the lambs type thing so we'll see i'm i mean i'm sad for the families that he wouldn't just like plead guilty and say like yes i did this um so it'll be interesting to see. There's been a big like gag on what the cops can release to the media about this right, case. Right, right, right. So a lot of a lot of things we don't know are going to come out in this trial. And um, if he did it, I hope I hope uh, he goes down. I hope he too gets a hard fifty plus yeah, a thousand plus a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Avrin. Very interesting. Thank and you. Fascinating Vanya. story. Oh my god. Um, I love you. I'm happy to be back. And I'm so glad you're back. And we love you. Yeah, yeah Ron Cremels. And we'll be back uh, next, next Tuesday. That's right. Con- <laughs> 
Kan. Love you. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rom Crime with Avrin and Vanya. Episodes arrive every other Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all things Rami and crimey. You can also follow us on Instagram at Rom Crime or email us movie and true crime suggestions at romcrimepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.